Segunda Show. Hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. Aaron and I spent the weekend with three kids who don't give a shit about our need to record a new podcast. So here's a little something we recorded last month. But first, here are our tour dates for next week. St. Louis on December 4th at Southtown Pub. December 5th in Indianapolis at Hotel Tango Distillery. Those tickets are not available pre-sale, but you can go to the distillery the day of the show and pick those up. December 6th through 9th, we will be at Go Bananas in Cincinnati, Ohio. Those tickets are available on Go Bananas website. And December 10th, we will be in Louisville, Kentucky at Butchertown Pizza Hall. My patriarchal blessing said that I was a descendant of the lost tribe of tweakers. <gasps> Me too. Yeah, it's called Mormon and the Meth Head. If you put a Mormon and a meth head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron would all just a radar fence. Listen to them talking to Mike. The coolest thing that I ever did as a missionary was there was this this craze that started. There was this t-shirt that was called A-Style, A-something. I think it was A-Style. It was the brand of the shirt. And there was an A on it, but the A was was two stick figures fucking. It was, a, it was a, like a dude banging a girl doggy style, and his hands were like on her shoulders, and it made like an A. And... uh that was that was the shirt, and I kept seeing it everywhere, and I hated it. I thought it was so vulgar and gross. And I remember seeing this kid at a basketball court, just like in a park, and I told that kid, I hate your shirt. <laughs> were you dressed uh, up like a missionary? Yeah, I'm in missionary. Yeah. We had just taught a lesson. Here's the thing. This guy, we were just teaching an investigator uh, who's a very pretty woman. I totally forgot about this woman. And we, she waitressed at a, uh, a cafe near our apartment. And we were like meeting her there uh, at this park nearby. And we were teaching and there was these, uh, this kid, these two kids, and they had like said some stuff to her as she like walked past them. So I was already like mad at, I was, you know, so being a little bit protective or whatever when we were done with the lesson i walked up to this kid and i said uh odio la tua magneta and i was that was uh it sounded terrible god i used to speak it so well but i told him i hate your t-shirt and he was just like what <laughs> i said I, I hate your shirt and then i challenged him to a game of basketball and i was what? like i said yeah uh this is very like three ninjas of me i feel like oh, i watched movies Why when i was a kid do, like a, where kids a dance play. off yeah <laughs> <laughs> you just like pull out a boom box and you're like we'll settle this right here right now my my companion at the time was matt low and he liked playing basketball and he was teeny tiny he was he was the shortest missionary in the mission and i was the tallest and uh he's way better at basketball than me <laughs> but i i was like i'll i'll challenge you to a game it was like us two versus you two and if you win I'll give you my shirt. Like you can have my my whole shirt tie, name tag, whatever. And I'll walk home without a shirt on. And if I win, I get to take your shirt. And they they agreed to it. They were like, Yeah, sure, man. 
And so we played them and just crushed them. And it was, uh, <laughs> I'm not good at basketball, but my rage fueled me. My righteous, my righteous indignation, I sh- should say. And we played great and we won. And then the little bitch wouldn't give me a shirt at the end. He was like, ha 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 ha. Yeah, lol, lol, nah, nah. And I was like, I was like, give me your shirt. I was like, I, give me your shirt. Give me your shirt. You lost. He's just like walking away. He's like, ah, ha, ha, ha. and I said, don't ever let me see you here with that shirt again. <laughs> I thought that was what? the coolest thing. <laughs> the coolest thing I had ever said. I was like, yeah, I showed uh, him what's up. Yeah. I said, That's my shirt. That's my shirt. If I ever see that again, I'm taking it, man. Wow. How gangster. Right. How old was this uh, person? Man, I don't, don't try to make it about that. Like, I, I don't know. He was like 13, 14. <laughs> I don't know. He started. He was saying shit to that woman. I was. St- I was doing. Uh, don't try to make me out to be the bad guy. What was he? Was he trying to sell candy bars for his field trip? <laughs> <laughs> you were trying to steal. You could have gone to jail. You were trying to disrobe a child. <laughs> well, you are hip. <laughs> yeah. Very. Very. I didn't say it was cool. I said it was the coolest thing that I did as Whoa, a missionary. What a sad slide. As, as a missionary, I didn't do many cool things. That was it. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was that was all I did. I I felt I had like three points and four assists in that game that we played that, that we that played means. to ten. <laughs> a two on two game. That's the that was the high like that's I mean, you should have seen my highlight reel from that that game. How are you not just immediately good at basketball? There's like coordination and practice and muscle. I mean, you have to do it. You can't just like in order to like to just be tall and to be good at basketball, you're like over seven feet. There are people oh. that have no coordination, but you're over seven feet, you're like, all right, well you're you're good. But uh, I didn't have that, so I uh, played children. I challenged children <laughs> to, to duels on the blacktop, and that's how I got my jollies. That's how I got them. But it's like the I want to be the – there's the video on YouTube of white missionaries playing basketball against black people, and they're like the, one of them dunks it, and, they, and, all, and all the dudes are like, oh! You just got dunked on by that white Melchizedek priesthood holder. What's up? That's how I felt. Yeah. I wanted I wanted that experience, and I, I think I got it, but I just had to play a, an Italian child yeah. <laughs> and go, oh, he just laid up on you. It's not the same as you can't you can't put someone on a poster by laying up by doing a layup. But I'll try. I'll try it. Uh, Holy shit. Uh, uh, all right, let's talk about... <laughs> uh, Would you like to talk about your bombing experience or no? Yeah, sure. I mean, that is something on the list of things that I want to talk about. Why not? Okay, so hold on. First, let me bring people up to speed. Something about comedy. Whenever you have a big show coming up, like big, like high stakes something in front of industry, something for TV, whatever. It's good to bomb really hard right before that. Mm -hmm. Because in comedy, there is this constant up and down where you go from thinking you're the worst comedian in the world, your material sucks, why does anyone listen? And then you have a bunch of good shows 
and on your way up, those are the best shows. And then you get to the point where you're like, I am a comedy god. I'm a comedy god. I cannot have a bad show. There is not a situation you can put me in that I won't crush. Which is where I've been living. Yeah. And, but then you get, you're not as good. Uh, you're not, uh, and then you just suddenly eat a dick. You just have a terrible show that shakes you to your core, and you're like, what am I even doing? I need to get on Craigslist. I need to find a job, you know? And so this is perfect to have like five shows after a huge bomb because that's when people are their sharpest. That's when they're their best. That would be the best time to do a showcase. You want to be a little bit unsure of yourself because that is when I don't, a lot of people say it like superstitiously, but uh -huh. when I watch it happen to myself, I'm like, no, it's because that when I get to, it's right past when you you've had enough good shows where you're confident again, but you're not arrogant. Well, I don't know. I've got a different take on it. Okay. I could have done without the bomb. I feel, <laughs> I feel like it's, uh, you know what they say? They, uh, it's <laughs> right before a big show. It's, it's very good to get a UTI. <laughs> and you're like, I could have done without it. I feel. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> But it makes you better, apparently. Uh, bombing is when a show just goes so bad, so bad. There's n you just it it hurts. It hurts when you bomb. Bombing does doesn't like I could I can do shows where the crowd doesn't like me. And that's not necessarily a bomb. I can do shows that don't go well. And that's not a bomb. Like a bomb just hurts. It hurts. Yeah. It's humiliating. It's the worst. I've heard comics describe it as like a deck of cards where there's a certain number of bombs in the deck. And every show that you do, you're taking a card off the top of the deck and there's a chance that one of them is a bomb. And the better you are as a comedian and the better you get, the bigger your deck gets. But there are still bombs in there. No matter how big your deck gets, there's still that same like, and one day you're just going to pull that card. And that's just that's just what it's going to be. I think the better the better you are as a comic, the better you are at rebounding from a joke that doesn't land. The better you are at corralling uh, an unruly audience. The better you are at winning people over with your with your stuff. But there's just going to come a day of reckoning when nothing you do matters, and there's no amount of effort will save this show, and it's just going to suck. And I had that show on Tuesday night in Park City for uh, um, a corporate gig. And I was at a point, I've been at a point for a while now. I, it's been a long time since I've like bombed, but it's been a long time since I've had a bad show. Uh, I have felt like a comedy god. I have felt very confident walking into any place where I'm like, I'm not scared of this room setup. I'm not scared of this sparse crowd. I'm not scared of this drunk crowd. I'm not scared of this uh, abandoned um, uh, parking lot that uh, we're performing <laughs> in. Like, put me anywhere. And I'm definitely not scared of a corporate show. I mean, I, a few weeks prior, I had done a show in a church for uh, an interfaith fundraiser. And I just went in, I did all my jokes about how I don't believe in God anymore. And they loved me. 
you know, and I was just like, I can handle anything. I am so lovable. I can make anybody love me, but I could not make the, the six largest dynamite manufacturers <laughs> conference in park city. Love me. They made dynamite. And I remember telling them at one point being like, Oh, y'all make y'all make dynamite. This is bombing right now. Look at, take notes, take notes. And maybe you should try selling me to ski resorts that need avalanche control because I will show you how it's done. I, I did this corporate gig and it just started off badly and got worse. And now th- I kept addressing how bad I was doing and like that would get laughs. But then, and I, and I wasn't like, I never got really nervous on stage or anything on stage. It was okay. I knew it wasn't going well, but who gives a shit? I'm one of Conan O'Brien's comics to watch. Okay. And, uh, even when they, people were just like on their phones, not like just not looking up at me, just on their phones. And, uh, I would address that and a woman, I addressed it and a woman responded by pulling out a second cell phone. <laughs> she pulled out a second. I'm like, I was doing two cell phones and I was like, you hit up a, a boost mobile before you came here. Oh Why God. are you? The, you're, you're, you're selling weed from your burner phone during my show. What the hell's happening? But it, got, it didn't get bad until the very end when the woman who booked me was giving me like a cutthroat sign. The one who booked me, by the way, wanted me to do two hours for, for a corporate gig on a Tuesday night at 9 p.m. with a podium microphone. Uh, so this, well, she did give you the option of yeah, a lavalier. A lavalier mic. <laughs> Just so, you, so corporate gigs are notoriously hard for several reasons. There's a, a proper setup is needed for, for stand-up comedy to be super successful. And um, you, need, you need low lights, you need low ceilings, you need a spotlight, you need a microphone, you need the attention, you need like distractions to be minimized yeah. and, and people's focus to be on you. But when you're in a bright banquet hall and no one's told to put their phone away and people are just getting up and walking to the bar that's outside the banquet hall you know it's a it's not ideal so things weren't going well but i didn't care it's a corporate gig but then the woman who booked me got so mad at me and she still has not paid me <laughs> she's it was so bad she doesn't want to pay me which uh she's wrong she has to pay me i want uh bitch better have my money <laughs> In fact, um, I'm, if she doesn't pay me, I'm going to ask all podcast. I'm going to put her email address on the podcast and have everybody just email her Rihanna videos until uh, she calls the police on me or something. But God damn it. It's just not what what kills me about this moment is that that woman thinks I suck. And she's like, I can't believe we booked such a bad comedian. And she already left a review on my gig master's profile that says in capital letters, train wreck. <laughs> Never again. And then listed me she she rated me a half point there's all these categories that you can rate from one to five jessa the instructions say rate them from one to five and she gave me 0.5 how did she got a hacker to hack into the gig masters thing just to give me lower grades i you know she thinks i suck and that infuriates me because i want her to know it's her fault like this 
you have to tell people that there's a comedy show. You have to tell them to put their phones away. You have to turn lights off. You have to, like, your crowd sucks. Maybe you were wrong for trying to book a comedian on a Tuesday night. You know, like, you, you didn't know your own uh, work you know, workers. I came with jokes that I tell everywhere. I tell everywhere all across the country. I have a lot of experience telling these exact same jokes. I know what works. I know what doesn't work. I know how to deliver it. I know how to recover from a joke that doesn't land. I know how to save a bad show. I know how to work a crowd. I know all these things, but there's other factors outside of my control. There was nothing. I tried everything I could do that night. Every, I was switching gears. I was changing topics. I was moving to different, I was moving into parenting material. I was moving back to, to this kind of material, that kind of material, trying all these things. I'm doing riffing with the crowd instead of doing material. And she's just like talent 0.5 professionalism 0.5. This guy sucks and doesn't deserve to be paid. And I totally do. Tell you what I don't deserve is getting feedback from dynamite salesmen. That's <laughs> I had a guy it stopped me from going down the elevator. I was at the elevator hitting the el- the button like I was being chased by a uh, by an axe murderer in a move. I'm just like nailing this button, just trying to get the elevator to come, and it won't. And then this guy's like, "Hey, man, sorry, didn't go so well in there." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, whatever." <laughs> That's fine. You want some feedback? <laughs> no, that's <okay. laughs> You should try. You, he doesn't listen to me. He's just like, you should try um, all new jokes. And I lo- I got so mad. I, flipped, I was like, really? That's your advice? Your advice is to scrap everything uh, and start over. Thanks, dude. Real helpful. Thank you so much. Tell me, which agency are you from again? Who reps you? <laughs> what are your credits? Who have you opened for? What's your resume? Oh, you sell you sell dynamite? You sell dynamite to mining companies in Mexico? Okay, why don't you take a stick and shove it up your ass? And why don't you give me feedback on that? You can be like, I thought you shoved it in a little too hard. Uh, maybe you should uh, could try some lubricant next time you shove a stick of dynamite up my ass. And I would take that criticism from you. I would say, sure, yeah, that makes sense. You know what you're talking about. It's your ass. You're well-versed at sticking hard things up there. And Because uh, I, I, all of them had sticks up their asses. <laughs> At the show. They all had sticks of dynamite up their asses at this show. It's the I wish that they had told me that beforehand. I felt like I could have made a lot of jokes about it and I would have understood where the audience was coming from, but they withheld that piece of information from me. Uh but it's psychologically damaging. It's been days now that's all I think about is that show. And uh, you're talking about the five shows that I have to do in between that and the Conan thing. And they're, they, uh, the one of them was honest to God in a dark parking lot. Because <laughs> welcome to Hollywood, baby. Yeah. I love, I love the L.A. comedy scene. It's fantastic. We're like, we're in this abandoned Michael's parking lot. <laughs> it's a real hip show. No there's no, there's no, there's Dude, no mic. A cell phone light up to your face. Yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. 
That's fantastic. And the other show, I was I asked this club owner that we met at Big Sky if I could run this this showcase set. I was like, I need practice, and he was like, Yeah, I got a show for you. And I get there and I check in, and they're like, You? He said you were on this show, and I was I said, I mean, he said to be here at this time, and I'm here, and he's like, Okay, um, well, this is Latino night. <laughs> I'm the one. I'm the one white guy on this Latino lineup. We're an all Latino crowd, and uh, I'm like, this doesn't. That doesn't matter. It's fine. Whatever. And then I'm watching the first comedian, and half of his set is in Spanish. And I was like, I don't. Uh, I got nothing here. I can't. I can't do this. I don't they know. love you. They loved you at both shows. They, and then we have three shows this weekend. That that I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Uh, the guy for the people that are coming out to our to our shows, um, I'm doing uh, uh, 45 minutes or maybe 42 minutes, I guess, and, and I'm just doing my seven minute <laughs> Conan set six times, just doing it repeatedly, over and over and over again. I hope you don't mind. Yeah, your last set's gonna be Salt Lake City. You're gonna be fine. Salt Lake City, and then as soon as we leave Salt Lake, we're flying to New York, baby. It's gonna be good. I uh okay. I don't think I ever talked about. This Are we sniffling podcast. too loud? I don't know. I That's just I'm just gonna get one more out of the way. I think we're all right. Let's go. I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the podcast, but um, I have pretty high self esteem. Yet, uh, have a really strange relationship with stand up and self esteem. I have um comedy dysmorphia, maybe. So I feel like I bomb every time. I mean, I've had one of those bombs. I've had two bombs that stand out as like triggered crippling depression for a while afterwards. Couldn't sleep that night. The kind that you remember three days later and it just hits you. And you're it like, hit, oh, your stomach starts turning. Your teeth hurt. Yeah. I, I just, I, then I woke up yesterday. It was like three days after the fact. I, we had had fun. Like I was fine. And like we went to sleep, I'd given you a UTI, it was, you know, like we had, a, <laughs> it was a good night. And then I just, I, I'm like, had a nice peaceful slumber and then I wake up and I could just see that woman's face <laughs> giving me the cutthroat sign. <laughs> and I was like, ah, 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 ah. she's a cutthroat lady, cutthroat just lady. standing at the side of your bed and you have <laughs> sleep paralysis. Also watch too many scary movies lately. Okay. So I, um. I feel like I bomb all the time. Like I, I, I get off of the stage when we're together a lot. Chicago, I have. Yeah, can I do an impression right now of you walking off stage after every set? It's just. <laughs> <laughs> just it goes up and does great, and then she walks off stage and just like. <laughs> just to go be alone. And mix another five-hour energy into a club soda because that we know is the key to calming down. <laughs> That's it's like, the I don't know, I'm anxious. It's just like down to another five hundred milligrams of coffee. Um, in Chicago, I, this is the first. No, that's not the first time I thought I bombed in front of podcast fans. But in Chicago, there were actual Mormons in the front, and you, yeah, you're friend. like, real Mormons are going to be here. I'm, it, you've, you, uh, we've instantly triggered uh, a yeah, freak out. Not ex Mormons, real real Mormons. Mormons. And so I'm just like, uh, they're going to hate me. 
they're going to hate me. And then I get on stage and they're front and center. I can see them the way that the lighting is. And one of them just kept going, oh, to all of my jokes. And it's something that I cannot remember, but need to get tattooed on my hand. Uh, shock does not equal, like they don't hate you just because they're shocked. If they, like some comedians do entire sets trying to get gasps. But when I get gasps, even though I'm saying shit that triggers gasps, I take it as rejection and I want to run from it. And I have this like hour of parenting material that I'll run to if I think that I'm being too gross or too weird or too whatever for the audience. And I'm in the middle of transitioning from an old set to a, to a new set which is more gaspy, more sad stuff. Not so much gasp. Gaspy, but well, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I just, I freak out. I mean, this out. girl was looking at you like you were murdering her childhood kitten on stage. Yeah, and was loud, was loudly gasping at every joke, and so, uh, or saying straight up, like, oh my God. And so, but then she was in a row of people who were making a similar face and behind her was people who were laughing was, on the inside. Was it the same girl that I called sister something Maybe. and uh, talked it, to her? Like yeah. geographically in that yeah, location. Yeah, yeah. So I felt like, and then I think possibly you can't hear people in the back of the room laugh. Anyway, I've decided that I'm bombing and that I need to switch to parenting material. And then I switched to parenting material and actually bomb for me. Like actually it doesn't go well because the people that are there that, that know me and are a fan want to hear me do Jessa material, not mom material. And so uh, at the end I get them back. I do whatever, but I hate it. I don't want to stay there. Like so many shows because you go up after me, I would leave. <laughs> and uh, but I have to stay because you're there. And then afterwards, it's just a flood of people asking for pictures and talking about how great it was. And then I have to try to not talk them out of that. Um, I just yeah. take every show that isn't perfect. Uh -huh. very personally but then i'm like oh they're just being nice because aaron's set was really good well i think that makes us good comedians yeah i think obviously it would be better if we had a healthier perspective on our set like if we were just nicer to ourselves because i'm not as intense as you or maybe i uh i am as intense as you and i've just been luckier lately but i feel I'm pretty hard after uh, sets as well. I was, for at least for a very long time. Maybe I finally got good or something. But I used to just, I used to do this after someone would try to compliment me after a show and I would tell them all the reasons why they were wrong. I was like, yeah, but I kind of lost them at this point and here's, blah, 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 blah. Here's, but well, I just, I, I think if there's obviously be better if we were just happier and healthier. Uh, but if we were, we wouldn't be comedians, you know? I think there are two kinds of comedians. There are the comedians that are super hard on themselves uh, because they, they hate themselves. And there are comedians that are super fucking delusional yeah. and that that uh, praise themselves after every set, no matter how it goes. They're convinced that it was great. And I would rather be us. Yeah. I think you are a better comedian in that you have definitely mastered doing your thing no matter what. I get shaken up really easy and I feel like it's very obvious when I'm shaken up. Apparently it's not because at the epic second show I was losing my mind on stage and then was very self-conscious afterwards that I had been witnessed 
losing my mind. And then one of the producers was like, man, we loved how you didn't give a shit. And I was like, how, how, like you had to know I gave a shit because you know me very well. But I, I was like, how did the whole room not know that I was freaking the fuck out? Um, and I think some of this is I, uh, experience level. Maybe I'm starting to accept, like maybe it's, I just don't have enough experience. I have done more shows in the last two years than I did forever before that mm -hmm. combined. But, um, Jess has performed stand up comedy 12 times in her life. <laughs> it's insane. Um, if I go up and I do my thing, I do my thing and I'm comfortable and I don't fall apart and I don't bend to their whims. I mean, there's a difference between knowing the room and, and giving into the room. Yeah. And giving into the room. If I have done my thing and not, and not, uh, and they don't like it, I don't give a shit. I don't care. It wouldn't bother me at all. Like if I had the set that you had in front of the corporate and I, the stuff that you said, like you riffed on the fact that the chick had a cell phone and you made jokes about it. Cause I'll just power through and not acknowledge that it's bad. And I hate that. I hate that. I just curl up in a ball and try to, and, uh, yeah, I hate that about myself. Like that makes me feel bad. If I did what you did and addressed it, made jokes, played out that one act out while the lady's on her cell phone, the bombing joke in the moment, uh, all of that, I would be so fucking proud of myself. I wouldn't give a shit what any of them thought because I would be so proud that I stood in the face of that. Yeah. And it wouldn't matter that they didn't like me. It's not that they don't like me. It's that I, I can't quite put my... In the moment... I, I must not, I, I don't think I believe I'm a good standup. And so in the moment, um, if I buckle under thinking that they don't like it, like, it's very hard for me to remember that people want you to win. I feel like every stage I get on, it's me versus people that don't want to like me. Yeah. And I don't think you, uh, you know what, feel did, that way. you know, what did wonders for me getting divorced. That changed. It changed how I acted on stage. It uh, brought a whole new level of I don't give a fuck because it was like, you guys don't like me. I mean, neither does Tabitha. So <laughs> I guess that checks out. You know, I had a whole. I just. Uh, I. It wasn't like I got tougher or more calloused. It was like I reached a threshold of of pain and vulnerability, and I just I had my body tapped out. You know, my body was like, we can't give any more fucks. We literally don't have any more to give. So this is just it. You don't like my act? I'm sorry. I don't like my act. You don't like me? I don't like me. This is it, though. And it was just like bottoming out. You know, brought a new level of confidence to. I just the audiences feel your energy and they, I've, I've, I tell people all the time that there is a level of arrogance needed to be a successful standup because um, an audience wants to follow an audience wants to like you and when you don't give a shit about them yeah they like you 
they want to follow you. It's just like a magnetics in any relationship yeah. or flirting or something. It's the, it's the girl that doesn't it, it show any interest in you that you chase after more. And so they, like I, I had, I brought that attitude on stage for the first time ever, because before then I was like, please love me. And that's the, the energy I came on stage with was I need them to love me and I'm lovable and I could play off that sweet stuff. So sometimes it would work, yeah. but there were plenty of shows that were just like meh and plenty of shows that were bad. But, uh, when I just got angry and sad, it opened up a new, like I, I was performing a lot. And I just didn't care about the audience at all. And it was a pretty helpful tr- transformation for me. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. That's uh... I, there's so much about why, I mean, we don't like ourselves. Like most, most comics, I think, uh, don't like themselves it's just at some a... level or at some point in their life. They didn't. Yeah. Right now, like our new friend, Kira Sultanovich, I think she's, she probably likes herself, right? Yeah. She probably suffers from uh, the same kind of insecurities and doubts and depressions that we all do. But she seems like someone who's who's happy with who she is. She knows who she is and she's happy with it. But uh, still, there's just even as we as we grow up and and get happier i think there was something that drove us towards stand-ups we were at least broken at one point yeah no that that makes sense it's just it's it's such a con it's such a stark uh contrast from how i feel about most things in life so in life or even on the internet in youtube comments i was going to use YouTube comments yesterday and there are so many she does a lot i do i love it but there are so many people who are like, fuck this dumb whore. Fuck this gross bitch. Uh, there's, I'm sorry about my brother. There's a, there's entire... There's some guy with like a, a synopsis of who I am and why I've uh, spent $30,000 to not be disgusting so there, looking. There's so many comments on, on her. This is not having any video. They're talking about how hot she is. That This dude felt the need to drop some knowledge yeah. It was the most inaccurate knowledge. Yeah, he was just so he was so wrong. He said, I've had a nose job, which is really obvious that my rounded nose has not had any work done to it <laughs> yet. Uh, <laughs> $30,000 in dentures. Like, who? nobody would have dentures. And then he said that I come from money and that I was really, really pretty. His, 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 yeah, she was probably even prettier before meth. And that's why and she's that her- managed to eke out this level of mediocrity. That's like, uh, no, I was actually losing my teeth helped because I had a weird face before my <laughs> jaw got squared out. Um, but anyway, it's it, but there's a lot of people talking about how sad my comedy, you know, like a, there's a lot of derogatory shit, and I just... When I read what people say about me and the tone that they say it, I'm like, oh, well, I wouldn't like you either. And if I wouldn't like you either, I don't care. Like, I don't, we're not, we're not cut from the same energetic cloth. There's a lot of people already talking about how insane I am, which was something that I was worried about was what, like, I didn't want to come out with all this alien psychic shit from the gate. Cause I was like, I, I just, everyone's going to think I'm nuts. And I am, and I probably do have a brain tumor, but like, I, I don't know. Then I see people say it and I'm like, oh, I don't care. Cause I know there's a bunch of people who don't think I'm nuts or at the, at the, at the minimum. Yes, yeah, she might be nuts, but she's entertaining, which is fine with me. I'm fine with that one. But 
I just don't, I don't give a fuck what people think about me. But when you put me on stage that I, I don't know, there's, there's something there that I need to figure out. There's, there's, there's some part of my reflection and it could really be up until like three weeks ago, I was, I was keeping it pretty hidden that I was relatively inexperienced in comedy. You kept it hidden from me. It's nuts. You, you talk about faking it till you make it. And you did. <laughs> you definitely did. You just talk all the time about uh, these comics that you know and that you've worked with and the uh, and industry people and like you know you seem you to me anyway. Yeah, it made me feel inexperienced because you would talk about these industry people and you talk about this and you talk about these people you know and this show that you did and da 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 da. da. And uh, then one night you were like laying out how many times you've performed stand up <laughs> and uh it was something like a week's worth you've, <laughs> you've been at it for for a fortnight and already had, like your your comedy central this is not happening was your 16th time doing stand up in your life and you and you and that's counting the the times that you lip sync to Madonna in middle school talent shows. You're like that. If we take if we remove those, then I've only done stand up three times. Uh, I um well, I don't think I was like dishonest about it, but I hadn't really laid it out. No, and you, once you, we became friends and we were putting our calendars together, and it was always just like you. And then I would have like one show, and I was like, yeah, I don't do it very much <laughs> comedy. Uh. But you have an air about you that it's just, it doesn't... You know. I do have a tendency to talk like I'm an expert on something 15 minutes after reading its Wikipedia page. Yes, you do. <laughs> oh, my God. Just like I know she, you're going to have a conversation with her and you're going to be like very taken. It's very easy to get swept up in Jessa and you're just so, so smart. Uh, but like she just watched uh, a Prager <laughs> University YouTube video <laughs> a half hour ago. <laughs> and she's like, I'll tell you about Monsanto and Cheerios. <laughs> Let me tell you something. What's your worst bombing? So my, my first, also I had very little experience with bombing. So I have, th I have three bombing stories. The first time I did stand up the, the, the nine months. That's probably how many I have. It's like, there's, there's bad sets, but like, yeah, we're talking bombing. about bombs. Bomb, bombs. Yeah. Bombs. So I hadn't even had a bad set. I'd had a mediocre set the entire time I did stand up because I became a professional stand up after my ninth time on stage. And after I started doing drugs, I've told the story about the crawdad that came up on the stage and I started crying and ran off the stage. I've told that story before. So the next big bomb was in 2014 at big sky and just, I choked. I just fell apart showcasing. And then I was, I came back from that. I took every show I could get. I started showcasing. I started doing short sets. I started doing shows that didn't have microphones. Like I put myself through boot camp and I became a much better comedian. And 18 months after that, I got booked to do a new year, new year's Eve show at a hotel that I used to work at. And when they called me in, like I had stopped working at the hotel and I think they thought because I was a big star or whatever, you know, that I was becoming a successful comedian, which I hadn't yet. And I, 
but I had, I'd been a bartender at New Year's Eve. And so I was like, I don't think I'm the right, like, what's the demographic of that? And at the time I'm doing mom comedy. So I'm real good in this like middle age group, you know? And they said 35 to 55. And I was like, all right, that's my demographic. Just, just so you know, though, this needs to be billed as rated R and people who wear tuxedos to comedy shows are not the kind of people that would like me or to people who wear tuxedos to New Year's Eve. They were like, no, yeah, you'll be great. They refuse to bill it as rated R as time comes close. Cause they say it doesn't fit the brand, whatever. And my parents buy tickets to it and it's like $75 as part of this, uh, per person as part of this big thing. And I walk in that night and it is a sea of tuxedos mm. and gray hair. And the median age was probably 70 because my parents were in the room. I mean, there was some uh, old people. There was a lot of the greatest generation and they still existing in this room. For New Year's? Yeah. Um, the first two people that I brought that I had to uh, the host and the feature, I start to panic and I'm like, you guys should be clean. Try to work clean. And neither one of them were clean. They get up and talk about sex. They talk about sex so much that I feel like I have to cut everything about sex out of my set. And, um, I panic. I'm completely inexperienced and I had never bombed as a headliner. I'd never had a bad headlining set before. And so I get up and I'm trying on the fly to make my jokes PG 13. And I'm just not even parenting material. Like I'm just a rated R comic and I have them for, or I don't have them at all. I never get them. I, the, the feature had them for a minute and then did like a 15 minute act out about queefing and um uh they were they hated all of us by the time that was over and i'm freaking out and so i get up and i did power through like i did but i never acknowledged that it's bad and my regret to this day is that i didn't try to sell my cd because that's the kind of shit that would have made me laugh you know just been like you guys want more of this they hated it. The room was just silent, just silent. My parents. How long was your set? 45 minutes. Oof. My parents, when I got there, had made friends with everyone at the table. And because uh, they had them at big, like 10, you know, uh, 10 person tables. And at the end, the people wouldn't even look my parents in the eye. Like as my parents tried to like shake their hand and leave and stuff, they wouldn't even acknowledge my parents. It was so bad. Have you ever bombed so hard that people don't clap when you get off the stage? Have you ever had to walk through 80 people who hate you so much that they just watch you walk through silently? It was awful. It was awful. Because I tried to do parenting material, but these people's grandchildren are older than my children. And I uh, was staying in that hotel and I just beeline it. And one of the managers comes by. Oh, God. Um, so the room is fully lit. And I used to work at this place. And so while I'm up here eating a dick, I have to watch former co-workers come into the room excited to see what I do. And then like awkwardly have to slink back out of the room after they see me just bombing. Um, I run to my hotel room. And it's me and my husband are in there. And then the host comes in. Uh, is because he's a friend of mine and he's sitting there and then my parents come in and then I text the manager uh sorry I shouldn't have been you know the, the I, I think I said we should have said the show was rated R 
<laughs> Which you told him to. Yeah. yeah. And then he said, I just shouldn't have been the comedian. I should have turned down the gig. I knew what that, uh, like the, the, the audience hadn't changed in two years, you know? And so he just responded, I have your check. And I hey. was like, oh my God, he's mad at me. Well, at least you got a check, I Jess. Paid. Yeah, that's good. Um, so then I said, do you want to bring it to my room? Cause I was like trying to figure out how to escape from this hotel with not having to face any of these people. And he came to the room and by the time he got to the room, uh, it, the room turned into this awkward, we swear Jessa is funny thing. Like my whole family and everybody like how many people is in this room? So it's Jason, my dad, my stepmom, and Phil all just like forcing stories down this guy's throat about times that I've done so well. And it, it was the I, I swear. That's the most embarrassing it, part. This is the worst part. This is the I swear Jessa is funny with my drunk stepmom as the keynote speaker. So she's just like, I just saw her in Baltimore and they loved it. They loved it. And I was just like, oh my God. And he's just inching like trying to inch out of the room and Jason is uh I get like I get it's a straight shot to Jason across the room and she's just like get that dude out of here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was so awful. So then like he has to try to put me back together and uh so I kick everyone out of the room and then I I there's two beds and Jason Jason and I were supposed to have this romantic night away from the kids and I was just like nope. And yeah. I went and sat in the other bed underneath the blankets and just Googled bombing videos all night to try to like find a salve. It does help. It did it does help. help when you want like the Tonight Show for a while did a series where they would ask comics their bombing stories. You know, like when like yeah. I listen to other comics tell their worst stories. Yeah, that does help. Oh, God. And then the, the reviews. Because only only we can understand. Yeah. Exactly, and it's, it feels good to like someone that you those, think can't bomb. Yeah, those dynamite people have will never do anything as hard as what I did. Never, yep. they will never do anything. And like that's why I don't get why this this woman is mad. What are you mad about? I drove out here and humiliated myself. I stood up here for an hour and I took all of your shit and I just took it with a smile and I did the best that I could. And you're not gonna pay me? Yeah. Fuck that. You should pay me more this is like being mad you can't you, you this woman would be mad at Anne frank like she's mad at Anne frank for not <laughs> for not hiding well enough and you're like this what this girl's been through a lot today first of all and she hid very well she did a great she hid for a long time in comedy in comedy terms in comedy terms i feel like she she hid for an hour uh, uh, you know and you were like oh, i wanted you to hide for 2 hours from the nazi state god this woman <sighs> at least you got paid that's great you should get you should get your check you know uh, it's one of my favorite subjects bomb bombiness mm -hmm. i like hearing other people's bombing stories I like, uh, it's so weird that when you bomb, it's this awful, humiliating, terrible experience. And the only thing that seems to make it feel better is telling everyone about it. Like I have to tell the story of my bomb in order to neutralize that pain. Yep. Can I rant as long as, uh, as we are getting emotional about stand-up comedy? Can I rant about clean comedy? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Clean comedy is 
great, I guess. It's it, in theory, I don't know. I have nothing against I don't like the distinction, I guess, when people are trying to make clean comedy different from comedy. Comedy is hard. Comedy is tough. If you can make people laugh and be funny, that's incredible because what it's a skill and it's hard. But I live in Utah where everything's got to be everything's got to be clean and there's this idea that clean comedy is just better. Clean comedy is smarter. Clean comedy is tougher. It's the real thing. When you're swearing in comedy, that's blue, that's low ball, that's beneath us. It's not as it's not as hard. It, like they make it seem like Brian Regan's the only comedian that's worth anything, you know, because he's clean. So what he does is really hard. But like, yeah, Bill Burr just gets a bunch of laughs because he's dirty. What? Yeah. You're an idiot and you don't know anything about comedy. Bill Burr worked for decades to get this funny. He's not funny just because he said fuck. He's funny because he is funny. And you can't, it's not just like you, you, Mr. Mr. Elders Quorum president would somehow be a comedian if you could just swear. But like the fact that you refuse to, that's what's holding you back from mainstream comedy success. And it's just crazy. To me, I feel like uh, clean comedy is harder. It's, it's harder for someone doing clean comedy to make me laugh because I don't feel like you're talking about anything real. I don't feel like you're talking about anything authentic. I don't need it to be like butt fucking jokes and cussing right and left, but cookie cutter, uh, sweet. Yeah. I just, it feels like bullshit to me. Yes. Clean comedy is harder technically because there's a restriction. Anytime right. you put any kind of restriction on something, it makes it harder, naturally. There's a, there are things that you can't say in clean comedy. So, I mean, it, it's just like saying comedy is, is harder if, you know, you, if you t- couldn't say certain words. Like yeah, if you, but so if like, you I don't say, think it's harder because it's, a more, it's more of a skill. It's harder yeah, because just, you're taking out everything real. There's and, just this and moral. Like here, talk about nothing and right. make it funny and right. so i don't i can't listen to it for very long i can't listen to any comedy that's uh, if, if we're not getting to something real and authentic and to the heart of something i can listen to it for a very short amount of time and then i'm like well that was funny but i'm bored now i liked it in the beginning i when i first started listening to comedy in, in high school i was a huge fan of dimitri martin that just does uh you know, at least that album that I, that I had, uh, he was doing lots of wordplay, lots of puns, lots of one liners and they were clean for the most part, you yeah. know, but like, uh, I don't know if we call him a clean com- comic, but still it was jokes that were about nothing. They're just jokes about puns and stuff. And now I can't stand to listen to that stuff. I want to listen to Hannah Gadsby. I want to listen, uh, to something, darker something more real more autobiographical and not just observations like jerry seinfeld on how we swipe credit cards at the grocery store or something that's not very interesting to me anymore and i think comedy can be clean and be personal with this and here's my problem so i i performed at a clean show and i kept it clean 
I kept it clean, but I talked about my divorce and I talked about my faith crisis and I talked about drinking alcohol, like turning to that to, to soften the pain. And it made everyone in Utah uncomfortable. Right. This was in Utah and every like, Ooh, and I had fun with that discomfort. I broke the tension a bunch and like I got the crowd to laugh. I had a, I had a good show, but, uh, people didn't think that it was clean. I would call it clean. Uh, but it is, it is by definition. I did not swear. I did not talk about sex. I didn't do anything dirty, but I talked about things that made you uncomfortable. Right. And that's a huge fucking difference when people, when this is, this is what I want to rant about when people say clean comedy and they really mean inoffensive comedy. Right. They're like, I want it to be clean. And there's a difference. There's a difference. And don't just say, uh, like, the F word is offensive and that's, that's not what I mean. I mean like if something causes you discomfort, it offended you in some way, it, it made you think, then you're like, Oh, Oh, that, that, that's what I mean by, by offensive versus inoffensive. And I gave a, a 100% perfectly clean set, but it made people uncomfortable. So they called it, not, they're like, I know this is going to be a clean show. And I think your comedians need to be cleaner and stuff like that. And fuck you guys. Fuck I, yeah. you. You guys laughed. You guys, you guys gave an applause break. This same crowd gave an applause break to another comedian's transphobic Caitlyn Jenner joke. Yep. You just did some hacky ass bit, cruise line bit about uh, she, she, she's a man or is she a woman? What? Uh, I, I remember in my day, in my day, uh, Bruce Jenner was still a woman and like it got an applause break and I'm like fuck you guys that you, that joke is offensive you know that joke that joke hurts people it just didn't hurt you so you didn't care about it when I got on stage and told perfectly clean jokes about my divorce about uh, my religion stuff that made you think uh, stuff that touched home to you, suddenly you cared so much about offensive material. You're then you're like, hey, 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 let's let's not be offensive We're here. For here. Comedy. Yeah, no, it's clean shows are just safe spaces for dorks. Like I to me, it's the when I think of clean show, I think there's nothing I can do on that show. Because nothing I could take out cuss words. I don't even cuss that much. Uh, I can't, I could take out sex material, but I think when I think of a clean show and I think of the, the mental state of those people, the people that need shows to be clean, because I they cannot handle, they can't anything, handle anything real that outside their comfort zone. Yep. Exactly. There's that joke that, that, that cruise joke kills people. You know, there, yep. there are, are women in America that are killed because of transphobia that is perpetuated by the laughs that that joke got yep. and they don't care. No, they don't care. No, but when it touches them suddenly they're like, Oh, well we, we should, if we it was a pro trans joke, it would have been considered dirty because the, the idea of clean shows is built by people's mostly religious, yeah. uh, uh, sensibilities. And it's not, it's yeah, it's got nothing to do with just sex and, mm -hmm. and cussing as if it's anything authentic uh or real 
and isn't and isn't washed by the, yeah uh, no so I, I, think, I, I think and these are same people that would make fun of college kids for wanting a safe space show yeah. where you don't yeah. do anti-trans material they would they would happily make fun of them uh-huh. but it's the exact same you were the you original safe space. safe space you were the original safe space that's all you want I don't anybody make me think hard about stuff and god damn it that's what stand up is for I think stand up is is there to make you introspective you you have a gut reaction and you laugh at something and you have to then ask yourself why I laughed at that like right. it, oh you know when you change someone's mind with a joke oh it's beautiful when you can get republicans to laugh at how dumb their Repu- like or if you can get democrats sorry i didn't mean to just pick on them but if you can get people to acknowledge their own biases i love those jokes yeah i love them and that's that's great that's what stand up is for it's supposed to be a mirror it's supposed to help us uh see our flaws and get better and laugh at our pain and you want a show that doesn't address any pain you want to you want to you want a comedy show that it that can't even touch any pain you don't you don't want a comedy show right it's not you i wish you would come up with a different name for your entertainment other than clean comedy because i think it gives clean comedy a bad name it's just how do you listen to 45 minutes of fluff also i think some people do i think there are i don't want to say that that's impossible i mean i felt like i did it I felt like I did a great clean set that was uh, personal and meaningful. And I think lots of other comics do that as well. I think there's plenty of good comics out there. I also think that there's a place for people who aren't like us who just want to listen to 45 minutes of great writing one-liners and stuff. Yeah. You know, uh, like uh, was this Kellen Erskine guy. He's a freaking genius. He's a genius. And I already feel bad like maybe I threw him into a cat like maybe his autobiographical but i just like the stuff that i've heard him do is like clever clever observational stuff like like jerry seinfeld but sharper and smarter he's he and i so i mean i could i could listen to i could watch a show of his probably well i feel like you've shown me several uh brilliant clean comics i think i'm thinking more of uh I've watched comics that were clean. Yeah. And I'm just like, it's Whoa. Um, Whoa. I can't imagine sitting through a cruise show. No. You know? No. It's so um, sterilized. Here's my other issue with clean comedy. Any comedy where I, I feel like you give the audience, you're like, here, we operated within your parameters. The comments on dry bar videos, sorry, I can never stop shitting on dry bar, but the comments on dry bar videos just go to prove that uh catering to people's bullshit doesn't get you anywhere it doesn't nope. it doesn't make them happy they still find something to complain about so here this service has provided you with squeaky clean comedy and you're sending hate mail to the person because he made fun of the idea of a a a a, a, a fucking movie that you've watched like that's how uh that's how annoying these people are that they can't just absorb someone else's experience and allow it to be their experience. They have to judge everything through their own dumb filter. Mm -hmm. And then that they're now they're freaking out because you're making fun of self checkout lines. Like that's how absurd this audience is and why I'm completely disinterested in ever doing anything. Yeah. I also think the internet makes it way worse. Like when you watch comedy online and feel like you can just say whatever the fuck you want. We're like, I think that I think half of those people, had they 
I mean, it would never happen, but had they ventured outside of their house for an evening and sat amongst <laughs> other human beings and, and lived that experience, I don't think they, they all would. would feel the same. Yeah, I think half of them would have been like, ah, that was great. But something about the internet seems more hostile where it's like you have to I take think, everything so personally. I think people who feel like they don't have a voice, they don't stand up for themselves, they feel small, they feel weak, they feel insecure. On the internet, they feel big and tough. There's an anonymity to it. I think that people don't realize that uh, when you're commenting on a comedian's video hosted by a site like Drybar, the comedian's going to see, unless they're huge, they're going to yeah. see what you wrote about them. Yeah. And uh, so a lot of them care, you know, uh-huh. uh, you're causing pain for someone else with your dumb commentary that someone gives commented on my video. My wife left me. <laughs> They said, your wife left you because you're not funny. (laughs) (laughs) And like, oh, all I want to be is funny. That's the only thing I have left. You know, she, my wife left me. All I wanted to keep was this funniness. Uh, But didn't we go look up that person? Didn't we go look up that person? Is that what you just said? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he was like definitely uh, a married Provo Mormon yeah, guy. Yeah, with his own uh, fears and prejudices, probably knows that you have a <coughs> Exmo podcast and uh, just wanted to talk shit because of his own. He's probably a year away from leaving the religion uh, and, and his own divorce uh, and everything. Projecting that onto you. I, I People replied. People can't be trusted, they cannot be. I replied to his comment and I said, shit, what did I say? You said, I said, oh shit, I what, thought it was because. I thought it was uh, because of like unearthing my sexual trauma as a, from my childhood. Something like I, was, I thought that my, the, the being molested as a kid uh, gave me a fear of intimacy and made me really difficult to love. Yeah. <laughs> the depression like, caused by my sexual abuse as a child made me. Uh, really difficult to love like she used to yeah damn way to memorize that <laughs> i'm gonna cut so all this out <laughs> uh i say all this because i was supposed to do a clean set at the at the <laughs> corporate show they said they wanted a clean comic but we had a talk and we talked about material and i said give me a rating and she said pg-13 and i said shit and i said bitch i wish i hadn't said bitch that was the one that i wish i could take back I also said titty feast and I wish I could take that one back. But they like this was a PG-13 set, but they acted like it was so dirty. They acted like it uh, and like that's grounds to not pay me is what I'm thinking that they're oh, thinking because yeah. I still haven't responded to anything that I've sent them. But uh I want I want my money. I want it. But they're like like you told me PG-13. I also told them that a lot of my they said do you have jokes about Mormons? And I said, yeah, I do. They're like, we think that'll be funny because they're not from Utah, but they know about Mormons, right? So I'm like, yeah, my whole act is how I just left Mormonism. And uh, then that the dude at the elevator was like, yeah, it seemed like you kind of only had two topics, meaning like my divorce and Mormonism and stuff. And that's, uh, well, yeah, that's the that one of those two topics was the one thing that your person asked for. Yeah, that is said PG 13, and I kept it PG 13. And they're like, train wreck, that's awful. And I know. Or maybe I'm just projecting my own fears onto them, but I feel that her chief complaint when she when I finally force her to write me back when I have uh, Peter Alfred Kern lawyer extraordinaire do 
uh, send an email on my behalf, she's going to be like, well, he broke his contract because he wasn't clean. But I feel like I, I can't. Yeah, those are within PG-13. That's, PG, that's within PG-13. Yeah, you could see worse stuff on network TV. And well, actually, can you say shit on network TV? Probably not. Still, though, you, in in a PG-13 movie, you can say fuck twice. Right. And yeah. So I'm, I feel like I kept it PG-13. And I, the only times I went a little bit more hard or a little more risque was because they were liking it. And I'm constantly trying to figure out this crowd, you know? And they're going to say it was dirty because they were uncomfortable. Right. Because I told jokes that made people sad because people didn't know how to laugh about. I, I don't know. I actually don't know if they were bummed out. I've had shows where people were like bummed out by the material. I don't think that was it. I think they just didn't want to show. I yeah. think they didn't want to be there and they did. I got them to laugh occasionally, but they mostly were just like checked out, you know? Right. They've been sitting in fucking meetings all day. And, they wanna, and yeah. it's like a Tuesday night. At 9 p.m. <laughs> It was bad. It was so, so, so bad. I just think that I get so passionate about the clean comedy thing because since you brought up Dry Bar, I hosted for them a lot uh, until I made too many people uncomfortable. But nothing made me prouder than like getting laughs off of divorce jokes in Provo. Yeah. In a place where that makes people uncomfortable because they're all they all got married at 19 and uh, no one talks about divorce. And I would get laughs about it, but I would host for them and I would listen to them pontificate on clean comedy. And it's just, oh, there's nothing I love more than hearing uh, comedy opinions from people who have never, ever, ever, ever (laughs) done it. Like, uh, shut up and go sell dynamite. No, uh, (laughs) go, it's, eh, I can't. It, it drives me nuts. It drives me nuts when I hear people just going on and on. But I would hear these these people that, that ran the company. They had a vision for what they wanted. And they, they wanted clean comedy. And they would talk about their vision. And that's okay. But like you're talking to stand-up comedians about stand-up comedy. And I disagreed with them a lot when they would talk about just how clean comedy is just inherently better. I'd say it's subjective. It's subjective, man. It's not it. There's, it's just that's what you like. That's great. You, there's a there's a million people just like you that only want comedy like that. That's great. Make that comedy. Make a bunch of money selling that product to people that demand it like you want it. You know that's great. But why do you have to make it this moral competition where yours is better? than mine where it's like yeah well this is the superior comedy you know that right you know and i'm like nah that's you got it twisted man that's not it that's not right i guess is that my take then my take is also yeah let people i mean yeah i mean i'm down yeah your opinion has more weight because you are a comedian you know (laughs) but yeah at the end Comedy will always be subjective. All kinds of comedy will be subjective. There's alt comedy and there's uh, showroom comedy and showcase comedy and storytelling comedy and all these other kind of things. And they can all exist. And you can have this is the kind that you like better or whatnot. Well, I felt but like we don't need Hannah everyone's thing. Yeah. yeah, we don't need everyone's fucking hot take on why Hannah Gadsby isn't comedy and why or why like this is is better than the comedy that you do. It can just it's all good. It's all good. It's fine. 
but I mean, I do think that Hannah's is better than, (laughs) (laughs) than whatever you're doing, you know, but that's my opinion on it. I don't sit around and tell everyone that it's fact, you know, that's, that's a key difference. Well, as comedians, we have the option of making the art that we resonate with. That's true. That's true. I hate the idea that clean comedy audiences, they tout themselves. They, they, they stand up and look down their noses at us because they are smarter audiences. That's uh, yeah, another thing, too, that I would, hear them, I would hear them say at Drybar all the time. Like They would tell the comics, yeah, like, you'll see our audiences are, are way smarter you know, than the ones you're used to. And I think there goes something to being sober. There's something to be said for a sober audience that understands all your punchlines. But I think real intelligence is digesting uh, tough, uncomfortable yes. problems. Yes. That's real intelligence. And you have a, a, a whole swath of people who have said, I don't like they've plugged their ears and said, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear anything that makes yeah. me uncomfortable. I don't see that as very smart. Nope. I think that you've got degrees that you really, you get a, a, a lot of puns because you got a great vocabulary, but I wouldn't call the people that cannot be made to feel uncomfortable in any way intelligent. No, there's nothing about that. I, uh, yeah, I guess that that's my, on any side, I don't like, I don't, and the the two things are so different to me where it's like, the safe space idea is let's not make fun of who other people are as people. And the, the clean comedy safe space is like, let's not talk. Like, I can't talk about my own personal experience if it involves sex because you're afraid of hearing about sex. Because your weird moral compass involves... Uh, your your version of morality is some fucking list of rules that you got handed down to you from some old dude. Where... Uh, but then they will mock this idea that like, can we not make fun of disabled people? You know what I mean? They mock, they mock how, how the, they call that snowflakes, but you can't handle hearing about fucking. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, it's so one the- is mean and hurtful to other people. And one is just hurtful to your dumb fucking. <laughs> 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 There's nuance in all of, I feel like even in these alt rooms where we are trying to create safe spaces it sometimes goes wrong where they like oh we i was sharing i was he, listening to kira and nicole talk about bombing stories uh right before i bombed like the week before it's very uh 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 premon i'm not gonna try to say it i had foreboding prem, foreboding there you go thank you i was gonna say premonition and i was like i don't <laughs> think that's a real wo- that's not a word uh but I do want premonition to be a premonitiant, word. Premonition, premonition—that was—that was the word I created. Uh, ponderize. <laughs> <laughs> it was very ponderizing that they were sharing these bombing stories. But Nicole was talking about performing at an event for like battered women, uh, and she told was telling a joke about her own date rape like how she got date raped and she had a, a joke bit. about it yeah. and they cut her like someone shouted stop you know you're triggering me you have to stop and that's at a corporate event and i think there's a little there's more specifics that make it different but like there are 
I think we can take the safe space too far that where we are being snowflakes in, yeah, in like in, com- in, in like comic run places, uh, you know, uh, not to you know throw any scene under the bus, but Seattle. Uh, <laughs> Like I just, I feel like crowds there in Seattle, and this is not the, about the scene, but like where I've performed, crowds there uh, can get uncomfortable fast when you bring up uh, uncomfortable topics, and it's they would be they're this like the opposite of this clean room where they would be totally okay with me saying fuck, saying shit, bitch. Like I can say all these uh, words, and like and that doesn't bother them. But then there are certain topics where I'm like, hey, this is I'm talking about something personal for me or whatever that they get. They get a little sad. They fold their arms. They withdraw a little bit, and they kind of shake their heads. And they're like, "This isn't, this isn't safe. This is triggering someone." And it's like not even triggering them. Yeah, they're like worried yeah. about that. And I'm like, uh, "It's my story. I'm t- listen to what the point of the joke is. There's so like you, you know, like listen, yes. listen to what the intent of this joke is. L- hear me out. Let me finish. Y'all can laugh or not laugh." But like to say we're not going to allow anyone to talk on this subject or something is is crazy. Meth I don't think it happens a lot, a lot but meth, I think it happens. Meth piss gets a lot of, yeah, this is a well-crafted story with lots of funny parts. But we can't laugh at addiction because it's just legitimizing it. And how can you make jokes about something that her whole family was probably in pain? And there's just a lot of like, this is painful. It can't be painful and funny at the same time, which I wholeheartedly wrong, agree. wrong. It's funny because it's painful. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I knew what you, it's funny because stand up comedy is about confronting pain and that's yep. the beautiful part about it. You can take that pain and you can make it better. Have you guys watched maniac yet? <laughs> watch it we have to check out of this hotel room right now because (laughs) uh apparently this hilton doesn't uh know who we are (laughs) that we can't get a 4 p.m checkout (laughs) it's ridiculous it's crazy but uh yeah, we gotta we gotta head out. Is there anything we need to plug, Jessa? No, I have no idea. When this no idea when this we we're just binging podcasts right now. Who has any idea? We love you guys and we thank you for listening. Thanks for being our patrons and thanks for being our Facebook friends and dressing up for, like us for Halloween and stuff. You're fantastic and uh, have a good week. And we'll catch you next time on Mormon in the Method. If you put a Mormon and a meth head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron Woodall and Jessa read our friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. Mormon and the meth head, Mormon and the meth head, Mormon and the meth. It's a good show.